The Present by Stefan Molyneux, Chapter 10 Rachel awoke with a start from a meme. Am I cheating if I only dream about someone? Ah, the modern world being what it is, moral questions only came in two extremes. Unsolvable trolley problems and semi-violent mob-based attacks on nonconformity. Morality was either impossible or far too easy. Yawning to signal to Arlo that she had woken up in a relaxed state of mind so he would not ask any questions, Rachel checked her phone. No reply from Oliver, no emails of interest, except for three informing her that her orders had been cancelled for lack of availability. Rachel cocked her head as she heard a strange wailing sound coming from the street, like a combination of a speeding ambulance and a dying wail. Jumping quietly out of bed, Arlo was generally grumpy for the whole day if he was awakened too early, Rachel pulled back the edges of the blinds and looked down. There was a thrift shop and a deli store across the street below, as well as an electronics store on the corner. A flash mob of hooded youths was streaming in and out of the electronics store, running off with boxes of every size. As she watched three men in blue T-shirts, she could just see their name tags in the distance, ran out of the store, the tallest one yelling at a cell phone. The wailing of the mob, the sound of breaking glass, the screaming of the manager... All this combined into a whirlwind of panicked social decay. Rachel shuddered. She waited for the sirens, the chaos, the scattering crowds and outraged business owners. But only the strange, dim wailing continued. It was like the creak of a giant hinge, unoiled for decades. Gazing at the scene, Rachel felt both horror and a strange kind of distance. In her mind, she knew that she was only a few hundred yards from rampant criminality, but in her heart she felt strangely disconnected, safe in her high perch, as if she were watching a movie. Her father used to love horror movies when she was a child, and constantly reminded Rachel that the actors just washed off the blood, collected a paycheck, and went for drinks. Now, looking down, At the rampant thievery, Rachel felt the same detachment, as if the young men and women running off with the manager's life savings were just extras in the background of a movie called, appropriately enough, Rachel. What's going on? complained Arlo, turning to her and squinting at the slight light. He always complains as if everything is my fault and I've just failed to fix it, thought Rachel. But her sudden... Bitterness was quashed by her memory of her early morning dream about... That's a weird sound, commented Arlo, swinging his legs over the edge of the bed. He always slept naked. Au natural was one of the two French phrases he knew. Because, as he said, being a paramedic was a tough job, and if he died in his sleep, at least they could get a kick out of his body. Flash mob, said Rachel, then added in a petty manner, and good morning to you too. Yeah, yeah, grunted Arlo in the manner of one who was too beautiful to be polite. He walked over to the other side of the window and pulled open the blinds. Arlo, put something on! Was good enough for the Garden of Eden, was good enough for the neighbors. He gazed down at the street. I guess they're not here to dance. Rachel shuddered. 
We've got to move. No justice, no peace, murmured Arlo. Then, in a slightly more concerned tone, no police either. He shrugged. Well, it's only property, not worth shooting someone. After a moment when neither of them had anything to say, Rachel was startled by the volume of her phone as it rang. Holy crap, cried Arlo, clapping his hands over his ears. Yes, I know, sorry, muttered Rachel, grabbing it. I had to turn it up at the gym, you know. Hello? Rachel? Hey, Ian, hi. Rachel always liked to immediately identify male callers to Arlo because she wanted to avoid his utter lack of jealousy. Sorry to barge in so early. Have you heard from Oliver? Only in my dream, thought Rachel. No, I've sent several messages, Ian sighed. Yeah, he's pretty battle-scarred. Hang on, let me add him. Rachel felt a deep spasm of panic. She wished that they had at least a tiny balcony for her to escape to. She thought of running up to the roof, but feared she might lose the connection. Arlo, could you grab me a bagel? I'm dying for one, she said rapidly. He cocked his golden head to one side. Uh, babe, it's a bit Mad Max out there at the moment. Right, right, she muttered, wanting to thump her head and get it started somehow because her infinite excuse generator seemed suddenly on the fritz. There was a click on the line. Hello, this is Oliver, said a deep voice. Rachel impatiently waved Arlo out of the room. He shrugged again and went into the bathroom. Ian said, Hey, Oliver, sorry to jump you, but I did mention that my sister-in-law was interested in writing about the movement, and she's pretty cool. She's taken a lot of heat for this, and I just wanted to connect you two, just in case you might break precedent and actually talk to someone. Pause. Oliver said, Me not responding to messages wasn't that clear enough. Ian said, Look, I know it's a favor, and I appreciate that, but just a few minutes, that's all. She's on the line. Rachel? Rachel nodded dumbly, then answered. Oliver sighed. Rachel, nice to meet you. Nothing personal. I'm I'm sure you have the best of intentions, but frankly, watching reporters try to write about this movement is like... Wait, is this being recorded? No, said Rachel. She heard the shower start up in the bathroom. Is this a working conversation or just introductions? Rachel cleared her throat. If you're asking whether this is off the record, then yes, this isn't even deep background. Rachel was suddenly shocked by a shriek from the bathroom. Due to his almost complete lack of body fat, Arlo was ridiculously sensitive to changes in his environment and had clearly misjudged his water temperature by a tenth of a degree. Rachel frantically tried to cover the microphone. Ian said, Rachel, what's going on? Are you okay? Oh, nothing. It's just the TV. Rachel smacked her forehead with the heel of her hand, imagining how it sounded, her watching horror movies at dawn. She half ran out of the bedroom into the cramped living room and flopped into the easy chair by her work desk. Ian was saying, she's independent. She doesn't have an editorial board or shareholders or other stakeholders. Oliver said, Ian, we can't be having this conversation with a reporter on the line. Call me back privately, encrypted. Click. Ian said, I'm so sorry, Rachel. He's been burned a lot. We all have. Yeah, I get it. But it's going to be kind of tough for me to write an article without any sources. Rachel struggled with a sudden tension in her heart. You tell him. You tell him that this article is going to go ahead with or without him. And if he doesn't talk to me, I'll just have to cherry pick from the online forums and report on that. She was almost panting. Pause. Yeah, I'm not going to tell him that. Well, that's your choice. I just wanted you both to know the lay of the land. So you're really going to go through with it? Absolutely. Rachel heard the low whistle. (whistles) 
and it's not going to be just a hit piece? Well, it would be infinitely easier to make it more balanced if someone would talk to me. Ian paused. Do you know what a, a threat that sounds like? What do you mean? Oh, you guys know exactly how much power you have. Talk to me or I'll write whatever I want. But if people talk to you, you just cherry pick anyway. But it sounds like they're participating. Rachel took a breath. How is the pregnancy coming along? Pause. Did you hear what I said? Asked Ian. Rachel sighed. I don't know how to get into media power dynamics with family. Cassie has decided to stay home. What? Wow, that's... When did she decide that? We decided. Cassie is staying home, and I am not passing along any messages to Oliver. There was a click. Rachel had a sudden view of herself as one of those idiots in movies who keeps yelling at phones after a hang-up. She felt a wrenching shock inside as Ian broke loose from his low-status moorings in her pantheon of power and burrowed up half a dozen layers, breaking bones and bile in the process. Rachel was still sitting in the easy chair when Arlo padded in, his lean form wrapped in a thin towel of dubious color. What drama started your day? he asked mildly. Wrong number, Rachel was about to say. Nothing, just had a feeler out, got another rejection. Oh, I thought that was Ian. What if he checks my phone logs? thought Rachel in a sudden panic, but then remembered his elemental lack of curiosity about her life. She now loved what always bothered her. Arlo's job was leading children's encounters with lemurs at the local zoo, and he left wearing his, well, he always called it a uniform, but Rachel always referred to it as an outfit, soon after. Rachel had found it cute that he always wore his outfit on the way to work, but this morning she had the distinct impression that her gorgeous boyfriend just looked like an overgrown boy scout. As soon as he had left, Rachel dove to her computer and started stalking. Of course, if pressed, she would have referred to it as research, but no. In these subterranean undervolts of manipulative femininity, she was, in fact, studying her prey. There wasn't a massive amount online about Oliver. He ran an import-export business, which seemed to be doing quite well. There was no mention of a wife or children, or even a girlfriend, which had her growing esteem for him falter. No matter how attractive a man may be, how much can he be worth if no other woman wants him? After thirty minutes of research-slash-stalking, the sirens finally arrived outside. Rachel barely heard them, buried deep in a forum thread speculating about Oliver's history. Fortunately for Rachel's vanity, a number of female posters, she had to assume female based on the names and pictures, expressed their deep attraction to Oliver along with a manic thirst to find out more about his background. I wonder how he keeps his business going despite all this activism, thought Rachel, but then realized that most of his focus was overseas, where the straight jacket of political correctness was far looser, if it even existed at all. Thinking of the levels of risk that Oliver was taking, Rachel found herself thrilled to the core. She was as enthralled with cancel culture as anyone, but since she was currently crawling under the whips of ideological rejection, she found the idea of someone blazing through life indifferent to petty opposition deeply appealing. Rachel found out that 
Oliver was speaking at a business conference upstate three days from now. Her heart began pounding again, and she suddenly felt the urge to stand up in his audience and scream out his ideological betrayals to everyone present and everyone on the live stream and everyone in the eternal future, and imagined all the people who had scorned her query letter turning on Oliver, contacting his family, contacting his suppliers and his bank and his payroll company, and nuking him entirely from the social and business landscape. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So what if he just hung up on me? What kind of reporter would I be if I let that stop me? I will get him to talk to me, thought Rachel grimly before logging into her various business and social media accounts and deleting her profile pictures. I know, I know, I'm still tagged in other people's photos, but it makes it slightly tougher. Then she called her salon to make an appointment. <laughs>